You're listening to Get Talking, a podcast aimed at educating and opening up discussion about mental health issues. Here are your hosts, Jason Welch and Christine Howard-Stains. If you got a problem, makes you scream and shout. Maybe there's another way to work it out. Take a breath in and let it out. Get Talking. Hello again, I'm Jason. Hi, and I'm Christine. Welcome back to the second episode of our third series. Uh, we're talking about sleep. Hopefully, you'll remember from the last discussion, we talked about insomnia. Um, easy for someone else to say, not me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> we defined exactly what a diagnosis is, um, what it's not. Christine also explained what sleep architecture is. And also, we explained the importance of sleep. So for today, we're going to move forward and we're going to look at sleep hygiene. Yep. What is sleep hygiene? Um, let's define it. It's a term that's used a lot in therapy for insomnia. It's actually a term that most people will have heard of, but it's a little annoying. I, I don't know why. It, it sounds a bit of a cliche, doesn't it? What, what, what kind of makes you say that? Um, I guess it's, it's not a good start if we're going to talk about sleep hygiene. <laughs> Okay. Oh, because sometimes I just get annoyed with the kind of psychobabble. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, okay. No, I, I say cliche, not that lightly. It's because it's overused. And as often is the case, it's an oversimplification. There's much more to sleep problems than just introducing sleep hygiene. And I worry sometimes that some people hear the advice you know, feel they're applying all the advice and they still can't get to sleep. So I'm going to return to that analogy from the last podcast about dental hygiene. Yeah, it's important, good hygiene, but if there's a cavity, it's not going to repair it. So one of the reasons we want to talk about sleep hygiene first is to ensure that everyone is doing it right. Yeah. And, you know, We've had a bit of a debate about how we kind of say this, uh, trying not to be patronizing. Oh. One of the analogies that we kind of come up with is that you want to teach your your children, again, go back to it, good dental hygiene or good habits. Yeah, but that's why I cringe. You know, it does sound a bit patronizing, doesn't it? But but it it's true. You know, what sounds like general knowledge or common sense, we, we often don't apply or actually what we think is is common sense isn't necessarily the truth so we need to look deeper into the research and reinforce good habits that are, are based on on fact um just to put things into perspective as well you know um, i want to give an example i had a client last year who was in, experiencing insomnia and came to me because they felt that it was related to some concerns they'd had at, at work um, and COVID as well. When we talked through things, I discovered that he drank, wait for it, 15 cups of tea every day. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing, but it was not a joke because he really wasn't sleeping. Yep. Um, once he cut back to two cups and in, only in the morning, and then with herbal teas after lunch, which he, he did, over 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 a period of a week or so, just gradually got used to this. So in other words, reducing his caffeine intake, then his, his insomnia pretty much resolved itself. 
I think that's a great example of how someone's sleep is affected. But how does it link to sleep hygiene? Okay, well, yeah, get me back on track there, Jason. Um, It does. It does link to sleep hygiene, because what I want to say is that sleep hygiene isn't just about the moment we go to bed. It's about what we do from the moment that we get up. Okay. Good sleep habits start from the moment that you wake up. So one of the key components of practicing good sleep habits is maintaining um, a routine with regular times for getting up and going to bed. And the chances of getting a good night's sleep are increased if the body, um, your brain and your internal clock has a routine and recognizes when sleep time has arrived. And to do that, we need to know that wake time has arrived too. This is why I say it's it's a, a thing that we start preparing for from the morning. So one important feature of sleep that is physiological is the sleep drive. Now, this is lowest in the morning and increases as time passes. Um, it's like a battery losing its charge. So the flatter the battery when we go to bed, the higher the sleep drive and the easier it is to fall asleep. Now, if we get up at 6 a.m., one morning and then 11 the next, it's very confusing for our internal clock, our our battery. So what you just said there is weekend lions uh, are not recommended then? No, they're not. I hope that's not disappointing, especially for people with sleep problems. It's much better if you keep consistent hours. I mean, we can vary an hour or so, but beyond that, it could really be detrimental. So, of course, if people generally sleep well and they're not experiencing chronic insomnia, an occasional very late night and a lie-in doesn't matter. You know, the body will correct itself eventually. We're not looking for perfection here. We're not robots and, you know, rigid attitudes can, can cause us problems in other ways. But I'll come to that in later podcasts when we're talking about the cognitive uh, aspects of sleep disorders. Once again, it's that time where I have to stop you and ask, what is she talking about when you say cognitive aspects? What is she talking about? Okay. All right. I won't go into a lot of detail here, but I'll just explain basically meaning that cognitive in, in terms of relating to our cognitions and cognitions are simply our, our thoughts. So when you hear this term... Um, It's simply what people are thinking about something. And here, it's what people are thinking about their sleep. Thanks for explaining that, Christine. Uh, I guess it will help in our discussion later. But for now, let's jump back into the discussion on routine. Okay, right. So within reason, try to maintain regular bedtimes and regular getting up times. And then moving on with the day, many people like to have a coffee in the morning. That's me for sure. I love coffee. Yep. But as with my earlier example, keep it to the mornings, certainly not after two, two o'clock, maybe four o'clock, you know, for some people. It really depends on what time you go to bed. So avoiding caffeine for, you know, several hours before bedtime. It, it's something that people can test out because people metabolize caffeine differently but for most a rule of thumb would be you know avoid caffeine after lunch so again just to clarify there christine you said it's caffeine right not just coffee right so tea and certain fizzy drinks yeah yeah and and chocolate unfortunately <laughs> oh i know I controversy know. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i know because we're both chocolate lovers aren't we indeed but you know like like um 
you know, the the client that I mentioned earlier with the tea drinking, who hadn't really associated tea with having, you know, much caffeine in it. We always think of coffee, don't we? Yeah, be aware of hidden caffeine. I mean, I made a terrible mistake myself a few years ago when I started drinking mint tea in the afternoon and then began having palpitations. And I hadn't realized that green tea that does have health benefits also has caffeine in it, just like black tea. So now I go for the herbal ones only. Christine, just to clarify that. You say mint tea. Yeah. Um, mint tea doesn't have caffeine in it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It was a green tea with mint. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought I was being super healthy. Oh, you know, green tea, which is good for health, with mint. Um, yeah. It, green tea has caffeine, and, and so it, it wasn't a good replacement for my afternoon coffee at all. Um, so now I go for the herbal uh, teas, that, that, the teas that are just mint or some other kind of herb. I was going to say, I'm, I'm sure a number of us have done something similar. So maybe this is a good time to actually mention getting into good habits of reading food labels, as we've actually discussed in previous podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just related to uh, sleep hygiene. No. No, that, that's true. Yeah, I think a lot of us will have made mistakes Yeah, with uh, the content of food. It, it is worth taking time, isn't it, to, to really every now and again, not just keep going on with the same shopping basket every week, but start looking at, at what's in the food that you're buying. So another key factor in, in the sleep drive is exercise, which is something else that we've been banging on about previously. Um, we need to be physically tired if we're going to run that battery down. Now, it's not possible for most of us to go to a gym every day or play a sport every lunchtime, but we should try and fit in some kind of physical activity into the day. And, and especially if we've got a sedentary job, those who are moving around a lot and on their feet, they're, they're fine. But if you're sitting at a computer or you know in an office or a therapist chair, um, you need to factor this in. Try, try and get close to your 10,000 steps a day. Take a walk at lunchtime take the stairs and not the elevator, you know, walk to work or cycle, get off the bus or metro, stop early, you know, all those things. Do some gardening when you get home, anything, just make sure that that you've exercised. As you said, Christine, it is another topic that we've talked about on previous podcasts and, you know, it's necessary for mood, digestion, strength, and as we're hearing now, sleep. So I'm going to ask, what about food? Yeah, there's a lot of research to suggest that the body benefits from overnight fasting, actually. And I personally try to leave 12 hours uh, between my last meal and breakfast, 14 if possible. Um, And it's kind of easy, isn't it? So, okay, you eat eight o'clock at night, you don't eat before eight o'clock in the morning or, you know, whatever. This is so that the body can repair itself without having to digest food. I mean, it's clearly it's better if you're not digesting dinner while you're asleep. I mean, apart from the problems that many people complain about, you know, such as acid reflux and indigestion, if they eat too close to bedtime, it's giving the brain the wrong message that it should be digesting and not resting. So allow at least three hours, if possible, you know, um, between dinner and, and bed. I'm not sure if that was meant to be a rhyme, but digesting and not resting, I thought oh, quite that's a bit of a, bit of a <laughs> tagline somewhere. I can see that coming. But what if we are starving? Say, you know, we've eaten early with our children, I don't know, say six o'clock in the evening or something like that. And, you know, we're not going to bed till later. Yeah. I mean, a light snack is fine. You know, a glass of milk 
will be even better, a small glass. Well, that's actually quite interesting. Uh, so it provokes the question, why? Okay. Um, I was hoping you wouldn't ask. Um, in my early training, the reason is that in my early training, we were told that milk proteins cross the brain barrier and this induces sleep. And there's also some belief that that tryptophan in milk aids the release of serotonin, which in turn releases melatonin, which is involved in sleepiness. But in fact, the research is, is a bit inconclusive and we don't really know what's going on. It's not fully understood. I mean, there have been some studies, however, that are interesting. Um, there was one that comes to my mind where some elderly people were given warm milk before bed and they slept better than those who hadn't been given the warm milk. Now, this could be a placebo effect. You know, it's inducing relaxation for some other reason. Maybe warm milk at bedtime, I don't know, somehow reminds us of our childhoods or, or something. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? If it works, do it. Uh, because for sure, there's no evidence that drinking milk at bedtime is harmful, unless you've got an intolerance to dairy products. And I would say drink skimmed milk, because for some people, those extra calories might might not be good. Um, I just want to um, qualify something here about drinking in general, drinking liquids. Hydration is essential to life. We know that. And a lot of us don't drink enough. Um, so it's something that we have to be conscious of. But forgetting to drink during the day and then drinking lots of water before bed will likely disrupt your sleep. And if for nothing, no other reason that, you know, you, you, you're more likely to need the toilet. So once again, it's starting the day with good sleep habits by consuming enough liquid earlier on in the day and not too late at night. So we're talking about drinking now. I guess it's a good time for us to start talking about alcohol. You know, the, the science suggests that it's not good to be drinking too close to bedtime. Yet many people argue that it's the easiest way for them to fall asleep. Yeah, um, that's true. It can help people to get off to sleep, but it's not a natural sleep. You're basically sedating yourself with a drug. So what happens is that people go quickly into a, a deep sleep, but they're not relaxed. The heart rate stays elevated. And we know, because as we explained in the previous podcast, that to have fully restorative sleep, our heart rate should be falling during the night. And this doesn't happen when people have been drinking alcohol. The heart rate stays high. I mean, why do people have hangovers? We just need to ask that question. You know, if sleep is to restore the body and prepare us for the day and we wake up with a hangover, it clearly indicates that we haven't achieved that. I'm not I'm not saying don't drink, by the way. I mean, I live in France, you know, the wine's good. <laughs> but, <laughs> but be sensible, you know, keep to government guidelines in terms of frequency and quantity and, and don't drink too close to bedtime. So a glass with dinner, three hours before bed, that's fine. And if you break the rule occasionally, then just accept that your sleep that night is going to be less effective, but perhaps it doesn't matter if it's just occasionally. So we've we've kind of talked about regular getting up time. So, you know, what, what, when we're going to get up every day, um, avoiding caffeine after lunch, if we can. You know, we, you mentioned about exercise and how important that is. We've also then talked about hydration and, you know, again, hydrating through the day. It's all about kind of daytime routine. And again, the last point there about you know, not drinking alcohol too close to bed. So, yeah, lots of things we've talked about is about the day. 
and the things we should avoid. But what about the nighttime routine? Yeah. Okay. So winding down. All right. Um, the sleep drive is hopefully building as the day moves on. And to encourage it, you know, we need to give our, our brains and our, our bodies other clues that the day is over and sleep is coming. So one thing is light. Turn down the lights. If you're going to watch TV, then do it by candlelight or small table lamps. And in the bedroom, try not to go in and switch on like a big central ceiling light. Just have a small bedside light. And warm colors are best, so oranges and warm light bulbs. So you're saying avoid blue light, right? Well, um, it is true that when darkness arrives, we have a signal that it's time to sleep. So we should keep the lighting low to encourage it. Keep the curtains drawn, you know, maybe have blackout curtains and, uh, you know, a dark room is best. However, the panic about blue light is not actually founded. You know, there's been a myth perpetuated, even in the medical field, that blue light should be avoided, that it creates insomnia. And there's actually no good scientific research that supports it. That's an interesting one for me because I've done a few talks and I've talked about it, but me telling my children as a start not to look at their phones late at night isn't going to help their sleep. Um, they, they're just going to love this comment now. <laughs> well, you should tell them not to be looking at, at their phones, but not necessarily because of the blue light as such. Um, it seems that computer screens, TVs and, and mobiles are interfering with sleep maybe because of the content more than the light level. As adults, I mean, if you inadvertently stumble on an email late at night, you know, that's worrying just before bed. And your teenagers, you know, if they see an Instagram post that they feel they've got to respond to or something that's causing them distress, then this is the problem. You know, it's what we're going to do on our screens, not the actual screen itself. And of course, if your teenager is up all night playing online games with someone in Colorado, um, then, you know, they're not going to be sleeping enough, are they? No, they're not. And yeah, okay. So that, so it's more about the, the content than the blue light. I think that's quite clear. It is. The key is winding down, turning the lights low, um, creating an environment that says the day is over. It's time to relax and recharge the batteries. And that may be you know includes light from screens you know stop perhaps an hour or so before bed you know read a book or or use a screen that has a low backlight or, or listen to an audio book perhaps or practice some relaxation um finally other factors to consider are not having the room too warm some people can't sleep when they're cold and i'm, I'm one of those actually but it's better to have a cozy duvet and a warm blanket but the air temperature being cooler in the room. Then if you're feeling hot, you can just throw the blanket off and your head's always in a kind of cool space. Since central heating became the norm, bedtime temperatures have actually increased significantly. And, and I read recently that the rooms are about four degrees warmer now than they were 40 years ago, and that's not conducive to sleep. Body temperature lowers when we're sleeping and metabolism slows down, and this is normal. And so we need to you know, facilitate that, that process. Okay, so I guess that's quite a lot of information again. And we've said before, we're trying to reduce the length of our podcast. So I think we're probably going to draw it to a close there. If I'm correct here, Christine, which I think I am, uh, in our next podcast, we're going to talk about circadian rhythm. Yeah, we are. 
And that's a really fascinating subject. I think it's uh, one of your favorite subjects, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, there's a number, but yeah, there's a lot of, lot of stuff to talk about with good stuff to talk about there. Okay. But as always, uh, before we finish today, it's time for... Three top tips. So the three top tips for today. Uh, firstly, we're going to actually suggest that you follow the government guidelines when it comes to alcohol. So they are 14 units a week and two alcohol-free days. Um, and for better sleep, don't drink close to bedtime too often. Light. Expose yourself to light in the mornings and switch the lights down at night time. And the final top tip for this week, make a routine. Go to bed at fairly consistent times and get up at the same time each morning. Even if you've had a sleepless night, you are likely to sleep better the following night as the sleep pressure builds up. So uh, it's a time again to say goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah, thank you, everybody. And uh, we look forward to the next uh, discussion about circadian rhythms. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please contact us through our website, www.gettalkingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's all for now, and we hope you join us again for our next episode. Get talking.